Hey, Scotty, before we get started on this episode, there's something of vast importance we must discuss. Yes, there is something that needs to be settled. Are you part of hashtags Team Scott? Are you part of hashtag Team Jake? You know, we go through Fantasy Boss every week and we sit by the sidelines and we pick out categories and then we brag, but we don't settle anything on the field. And you know what, Scott? It's about time I take you down a peg or uh, trip and fall on my face. That's right. I'm challenging you here and now to the third annual Birdland Bash. My team of so far non-existent players is going to be your team of so far non-existent players in softball. When is that going to happen? Jake, I think the best time to do this is high noon on September 17th at Solo Gibbs Park. Solo Gibbs Park. Wait a minute. That sounds familiar. Is this the same location that we've done each of our Birdland Bashes? Yes, this is the same location that we've done each of our Birdland Bashes right next door to M&T Bank Stadium and mere blocks away from Camden Yards. I think you're supposed to say it's a long fly ball from Ooh, Camden Yards. I should have said that if I was Tom Davis. That, <sighs> that's that's the expertise that I'm missing out on. High noon. High noon. September 17th, a Saturday uh, hey, maybe we can even get a game to follow. The Orioles are in town. They are in town playing the Tampa Bay Rays. Oh, you might even see a win. So are you hashtag Team Scott? Are you hashtag Team Jake? Lots more to come. Mark your calendars for the Birdland Bash. This is a free-as-a-bird softball event. Going to be a good time. Let us know if you're coming on Twitter with hashtag Team Scott or Team Jake. Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Hey folks, welcome to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and business opinion. Today is September 5th, 2016, and this is episode 179. It's going to get laborious. I'm Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, my one step up from Jim Hunter, just barely, Jake English. You can find us over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also check us out at baltimoresportsreport.com, baseballtalkradio.com, and third-party platforms such as Google Play Music and iTunes. Please rate and review the show if you're using those third-party applications. Check us out on social media at Facebook, Periscope, Snapchat, Instagram, but most importantly on Twitter at birdseyeviewbal. And with that, uh, Jake, we're going to dive right into the drink of the week. Go ahead and tell us what you're drinking this week. Uh, this week, back to an old favorite. I'm drinking a rum and coke, spiced rum with a couple of limes dropped in there. It's good stuff. And you, sir? Uh, Jake, I'm going with a simple gin and tonic um, from the uh, Shot Tower Gin and um, a little bit of tonic water. And I borrowed a lime from you today, too, so I appreciate it. It's okay. That. You'll get my bill. Uh, well, I mean, how much can a lime really go for? A lot, I guess, if you're uh, if you're being charged by Jake English. Uh Untapped, Jake E4025, myself, I'm at MAG8696. 
And with that, why don't we go ahead and dabble into uh, the good old medical wing. All right, listen, there was way too many people this week that really took a shine to the medical wing. You know, I think the medical wing is starting to become everyone's favorite segment. And I don't think it's because of what we cover. I think it's just Dr. McSuffins. It's okay if you giggle. Yes. So all all of the medical wing this week has to do with shoulders. 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 Chris Tillman, uh, Darren O'Day, both with shoulder injuries, uh, both both had events this past week where they got onto either flat ground or whatever they were doing, and neither one of their shoulders exploded. So I'm looking at this as progress. That That is definitely progress. Um, it, it sounds like Chris Thomas is going to be coming back, what, September 11th is what was being reported by the team. Um, Darren O'Day traveled with the team to Tampa, so maybe he's going to get in there somehow, but eh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But be nice to get Chris Tillman back uh, as soon as possible so that certain other members of the rotation can get kicked out. Shockingly, it's not a bottle menace. Anyway, moving to 140 characters or less, let's go to this week on the Twitter. Why don't you go ahead this and start? This week on the Twitters, our first tweet is going to come from Matt Taylor, who tweets at RoarFrom34. And if you're not reading him over at RoarFrom34.com, frankly, I don't want to know you. Tweet is as follows, quote, Abaldo Jimenez with another one, two, three, end quote. I feel like I've just tuned into a baseball equivalent of the world War of the Worlds radio broadcast. Yes, yes, that is exactly how it feels. And yet, it feels oh so good. Well done, Matt. All right, the next week comes to him the uh, category of, wait, he's not perfect. This comes from Andrew Stetka. You can follow him at A. Stetka. P.S. Just because Buck Walter is a good manager doesn't mean he has had a fairly subpar year when it comes to these things. He has. Okay, that's fair. Um, next one, Jake, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of a, I'm going to break the script here, and I'm going to break a rule here. Um, that's Jake, my job. That's my job here. We are on the Twitter, but I'm going to go to another social media platform. Jake, it's time for the Brian Roberts Watch. If you didn't know, Jake, Brian Roberts showed up today to the Tampa Bay Orioles game today with his son, and uh, greeted some of the Farrell Orioles players and just sat in the stands just like a common fan. It was great to see B-Rob uh, in attendance. And honestly, his kid that he had with him, pretty darn stinking cute kid. Um, He's got good genes to work with. He, he does have really good genes to work with. And it's not Brian's genes we're talking about. Nope. We're talking about his wife's genes. Oh, Brian Roberts' wife's genes. Oof. It's been a Ooh. while since you've had a Diana Roberts moment on this I, podcast. I, it has been a while, but normally good things happen. When I reminisce about Diana Roberts. I miss the Brian Roberts At least watch. in my pants. That used to be solid <laughs> bird's eye view shtick. And, and his retirement has, has ruined it. Well, what can I say? Um, it's good to see B-Rob even in brief spurts. Just like me with Diana Roberts in brief spurts. You want to go ahead and take the next one? <laughs> yeah, let's go anywhere else from here. Uh, let's see. Let's go to uh, ESPN Stats and Info, in, and Info at ESPN Stats Info. The at Orioles have now tied an MLB record for homers in August with 55, just two months after setting the June record with 56. Okay, yeah, the Orioles had home runs. Big whoop. 
I think it's interesting though, because in June, everyone's just like, oh yeah, we got to get the record. This is a big deal. But again, it was when they were winning. Now that they're not winning at the pace they were in June, everyone is more focused on the wins, which is what they should be focused on, as opposed to a meaningless record uh, for home run total for months. So yeah, it's nice, but it's not that big of a deal. And the fact that the Orioles, a non-first place team, are hitting home runs at a record-setting pace, I think just goes to show how stupid that particular stat is. Right. Um, one kind of stupid stat, but kind of interesting, was um, the whole run differential slash how many games you win by one run. It's been going around a lot today. Um, but one that came out this week that I thought was interesting was from Rob Arthur. He writes that, at no underscore little underscore plans. Uh, noted same nutrition writes for um, comp- uh, websites such as 538. Uh, occasionally also writes for Baseball Prospectus. A really good follow on Twitter. Yeah, really good follow on Twitter. Um, but he had this article going into um, one-run games versus bullpen wins above replacement, which I think is a really th- interesting thing since we were talking about that with Zach Burton lately. Hmm. And it went into the 2016 Rangers were actually – outperforming even the 2012 Orioles because a, their bullpen isn't as good as the 2012 Orioles was. And still their winning percentage in one run games is much better than the Orioles. So we've got an extreme outlier here in the 2016 Rangers. But to me, it's funny is you really don't hear a lot about the 2016 Rangers about, Oh, they're getting lucky. That's not sustainable. That's not sustainable. That'll never work. Um, but with the 2012 Orioles, that's all you heard. And to a certain regard, I think you come back and look at the body of work that the Rangers have put out, and they are an excellent team. But are they as excellent a team as what their record actually shows? We got to be careful here. Oh, okay. If the Rangers should, for some reason, falter, yes, I do not want to play the Rangers in a one-game wild card rematch of 2012 if they have a completely unsustainable historic bullpen performance in one run games I, that that sounds like a karma train i do not want to get on but you know who i what i would like to play them what's that in an alds series all right i'll take yeah. that i can't wait for jim johnson to come in for the rangers oh why do you hurt me <laughs> or brian mattis <laughs> speaking of why do you hurt me I want to talk about the Yankee series that took place here at Ken Yards this past weekend. Uh, Joe Papa, Joe Paparata, uh, a member of the OBP podcast. Boys, get yourselves back together and back on the air. Good friend of the program. Uh, tweets as follows. Taking, uh, talking to a family of Yankees fans. Turns out they're from Virginia and they're actually Nats fans. I don't get life. Hmm. That is very odd. Very odd indeed. Hey, we went on Sunday and I was very well behaved. I did not speak to any Yankees fans, um, and I, I feel like I should get a medal. I, I spoke to some uh, Yankees fans. Um, we'll get around to that a little bit later in the show, perhaps. Um, but yeah, we definitely spoke to some Yankees fans. Um, it, it wasn't a bad situation. There was a few weird moments, but I wouldn't classify it as a bad experience, which is weird. Kind of weird. All right. Um, really interesting week, I think, in, in, in the past week for Orioles baseball. Some good, some bad. Um, but let's go through and let's go around the bases and figure out what to make of this whole wild world. All right. To me, it's been a really weird week. Um, Coming into Monday's game, uh, the team went 500 over the past week, taking one of three from the Jays, 
and two or three from the Yankees. Uh, the Orioles managed to win today, Monday, uh, Labor Day. So I guess if you really want to put it there, four and three over the past week. Um, but as of last week, the Orioles were three games back in the AL East and two games up in the final wild card spot. Um, however, the past week, uh, they've gained a game uh, in the AL East. They're two games back now. Um, but they're tied with the Tigers now for the last wild card spot, and they seem to be dancing back and forth with them for the majority of this week. Um, and it, it seems like with each loss, specifically Sunday's game in particular, Birdland has lost their collective minds. Um, and I, I think it's interesting. We've talked about this about the whole negativity aspect about why are people going so crazy over a loss. Um, but just kind of breaking it out over the past two weeks, which I think is something that we all need to work on and just kind of take a step back and say, you can't live from series to series uh, and kind of make a reflection on this team because you go back a few weeks, less than a week ago, and it was, oh, well, um, you know, the Orioles are doing great against the Nationals, and then you came in and, you know, it was a complete train wreck. But over the past two weeks, uh, the Orioles have gone eight and six. The Red Sox have gone seven and seven, and those Detroit Tigers have gone 10 and three over the past two weeks. So yeah, the Tigers have definitely caught ground um, over this past two weeks. But I I guess the thing is, what do we make of this? Do we become panicked? Um, How do we manage our emotions for the next 25 games with between all three of these teams? Well, here's the thing. I mean, I I think you are absolutely correct. I've, I've harped all season about, you know, look at the long game. Don't get locked into every game because there's, you know, long season, blah, blah, blah. Here's the the problem, though. With 25 games left, I'm not sure that we have the luxury of waiting until tomorrow. Because the thing is, is that if you look at the next 25 games, right, with the exception of the Tiger series, whoa, suddenly important. Uh, so let's 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 strike that. I believe we called that last week when saying, don't worry about the Blue Jays series, worry about the Yankees series, and worry about the Tiger series the previous week, next week. But go ahead. So without, without the, the Diamondbacks series, all of the remaining games matter. All of them. Every single one. And in fact, I think that the Diamondbacks series does matter because instead of going in and thinking, okay, just win a series and you'll be good, I think with 25 games or whatever it is that, that's left, you're really at the point now where you, you have to ask yourself, did my team outperform the teams it's trying to catch and the teams that are either uh, adjacent or behind them? Because if they fail to do those things, they're running out of time to correct it. And so, you know, you get yourself to an, into a position where, you know, you you um, you win two out of three against the Yankees, you lose the third game, but, oh, that's okay because the team in first place also lost. Okay, yeah, but you've also lost another game at a crucial juncture now when you're out of season to catch up. Now, the Orioles are close. They're within striking distance, so it's not panic mode or anything like that. But at the same time, I do understand the frustration, the quiet anguish, and sometimes not so quiet, when opportunity strikes and the Orioles wilt or, you know, any team, right. You know, wilts in in front of it. So I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying about, you know, you can't just win series. All these games are important. I agree with you with 25 games to go. All the games matter, but I'm going to come back to one of the points that you made, which was winning series isn't enough. And I I would have to disagree. I think winning series is all you need to do going forward. Jake, if you win, all your series going forward, you would have a 660 winning percentage. If you had that, you would end up at 91 or 92 wins, which may be enough in all honesty 
to win you the division, especially since you're playing a bunch of other AL East teams. So if you go and said to me, the Orioles are going to win every other series, um, basically from now until the end of the season, I'd say, all right, well, then the Orioles are your AL East champions. Sure. I mean, I'd sign up for that, too. But at the same time, I also feel like Toronto's proved that they're a good club. You're right, but I'm, the, I'm saying... The Sox have proved right. that they're a good club. The, the Tigers have proved that they're a good club. And it's not it's not outside the realm to think that they might also go out and win just about every season. Sure. Series, you know. So let's come back to that point, which you, you, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great point. When you're going against teams that are very good, such as the Red Sox and the Blue Jays, uh, you may not win series. So, for example, against the Blue Jays, you may only go... 500 against the blue jays down the stretch you're not going to go 600 so by only going 500 you have to make it up against other teams such as the rays or the diamondbacks but i still come back to you still are going to play the rays for two more games this series and you're going to play them four more games later on the schedule so you're going to play them six more games if you can win four or five of those games and only lose one or two of them i'm going to perfectly take that because again we talked about this last week they really needed to play four to five games above 500. And they're well on their way to doing that if they can win another game against Tampa Bay and if they can go into Detroit and take two or three. If they take two out of three against the Rays this week and they can take two out of three against the Tigers, they're putting themselves in a very good position down the home stretch to get a wild card position and potentially get a division position right now with the Blue Jays and the Red Sox both kind of scampering along just like the Orioles comes down to what we talked about in the past. Whoever gets hot at the very end is going to be the division winner. While we're busy patting ourselves on the back, I think you deserve a little bit of credit because you identified the Yankee series over the Toronto series this week as being the most important uh, of the season. And that's interesting to me because we lost the Toronto series. And I, I remember we talked about, you know, if we just win one, the season isn't over. But if they just win one and then go out and lose against the Yankees, then 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 it's then per, they're in then trouble. They're in trouble. Uh, but you know, taking two or three against the Yankees, I think, put them back in a position where there is hope for the season. Um, so well, well done, Scott Magnus. Uh, look, first base is uh, is what do we do with our feelings uh, for the rest of the season? What do we make of this next you know weird week that we just encountered? Scotty, what do we have for second base? All right. For second base, Jake, uh, I'd really like to talk about the big topic, which is the sudden resurgence of the starting pitching, specifically Abaldo Jimenez and Kevin Gossman, who have been uh, taking it up a notch is, is an understatement since Chris Tillman won the deal, but have been absolutely dominant. Jake, let me just run through a, a few numbers here, which is, of course, what I like to do. Abaldo you? Hum- yeah, I know. Abaldo Jimenez, uh, since Chris Tillman's last start, uh, he's started three games, gone 21 and two-thirds innings pitched, seven earned runs, 2.9 ERA, 13 Ks, and three walks. And to be fair, I'd also come back to that one game against the Blue Jays where he should have been coming out, and that's on Buck. So I would even come back and say, yeah, Baldo gave up three runs there, but in reality, I'm going to even take that away from him because I don't feel like that was fair. Like, he was put in a bad position there. Um, and then Kevin Gossman, three games started, 19 innings pitched, no earned runs, 19 Ks, four walks. Those are two absolutely dominant performances um, by both Kevin Gossman and Abaldo Jimenez and really kind of steadying out the rotation with Chris Tillman no longer in it right now. Yeah, and, and here's something that's crazy, that even in this stretch, we've had good and bad from the rest of the guys. Yeah. 
But even Giovanni Gallardo and Wade Miley had decent starts in losing efforts. These these two are leading the charge, but I would say that we're we're in one of those periods right now where we say to ourselves, yeah, the starting rotation's not very good, but occasionally, you know, they have pretty decent stretches. This has kind of been a uh, decent stretch, and it's been led, weirdly, by Abaldo Jimenez and, as you've indicated, an upswing from Kevin Gosman. Which is the mirage? Do you think that uh, – how long do you think that uh, Abaldo Jimenez can sustain pitching usefully? Well – In the rotation. It's tough to say. The one thing that is interesting to me is if you look at his mechanics, he certainly looks like he has a much more compact delivery – and we've talked about that time and time again on the show about going to more of a compact delivery. And based off him going to that compact delivery, that walk rate has absolutely shrunk. So the question always is with Abaldo Jimenez, can he maintain it? Can he, can he keep it consistent? If he can maintain and keep it consistent, that would be huge. Um, if he go back to first half Abaldo Jimenez in 2015, <laughs> that's actually a great thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it just comes back to Chris Tillman, Abaldo Jimenez, first half 2015, Kevin Gossman and then Dylan Bundy as being, you know, a third or fourth starter. Or if you want to turn him into saying, we're going to use Dylan Bundy as a two or three inning relief pitcher and just go in and basically blow people by, uh, that could get really interesting um, in a short uh, series in the playoffs. I also think it'd be interesting if you're worried about the innings, as I am with Dylan Bundy, to take him out of the rotation and give an incredibly short leash to Wade Miley. And to Giovanni Gallardo to say, hey, you're in the third inning. You're starting to look rocky. All right, you're done. Let's get two or three innings from uh, Dylan Bundy and then go to the bullpen. Well, I mentioned that earlier this week when we were going against the Blue Jays when I thought that our starting pitchers were going to get rocked around, um, which they didn't against the Blue Jays. But I said, you should only let the starting pitchers go two times through the order and then you should pull them because Wade Miley, Abaldo Jimenez and everyone – has shown the prevalence to really get nailed going three times the order. And I realize folks are going to point out saying, were they bad also in the first inning? Well, yes, they are bad in the first inning sometimes too. But on the majority, these pitchers have a tendency to be really bad going through different parts of the order multiple times. So if you can minimize that and rely on your expanded roster, you should do so. That being said, um, there's not a lot of stuff in the bullpen that is much better than Wade Miley and uh, Giovanni Gardo as well, which is kind of scary. So you, you talked about it. Jimenez and Gosman, you know, do you buy into the uh do you buy into the resurgence? I, I buy I, into Gosman. I don't know if I buy into Jimenez. See, it's funny though, because I, I think, you know, you talk to nine uh, ten Oreo fans, nine of them would agree with you. Here's the thing. We all want to buy in to the greatness of Gosman. Yeah. Right? That's what we want. Yeah. Because not only does it help us now, but it helps us later. Nobody wants to buy into the greatness of Ubaldo because we've all been kicking him for three years of this contract, and rightfully so. Look, I want to buy into him. I mean, you can see you, – you, oh, I'm sorry. You didn't get to see the post-game thing because you don't have a television anymore. I've got a television. It just sits quietly in it my room. It sits quietly in your room. So if – I'll explain this a little bit to you. So they were doing the post-game interview with Ubaldo, and you could literally see Ubaldo crying at the end of the postgame because he was just so emotional about coming out and like doing so well today. This is how he gets extra innings out of Buck because Buck looks him in the eyes and can't say no. He's just like, dang it, Ubaldo, go ahead and get out there. His puppy dog eyes. And Buck's heart grows three sizes right. that day. It's all about wearing that Wild Bill Hagee hat and shaking his finger too. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, everyone wants Ubaldo to be a, a, a good pitcher. It's just that you've been burnt too many times 
that you don't go back to the well anymore. So is it great that it's happening right now? Sure. But it's probably not going to likely happen for much more than one or two more starts. I mean, sorry. I just, I'm, I'm bitter. Yeah. And not wrong. <laughs> and not wrong. The, the thing is, is that can, can the rotation be managed to the point where the games don't get out of hand? Let me, let me talk real quickly about Sunday because I know that we're teetering on the edge of second base. Here. Sure. Sunday, it was a very clear to me that Wade Miley just didn't have it. Yeah, he, like, didn't, he just didn't have it. Didn't have the stuff, and he was kind of dancing around, and just like he's not fooling anybody at the plate. He gave up those three runs, and you know, I tweeted out like, "Dude, Buck, you got to go out and get him." He just doesn't have it today. Right. And two bucks credit, he left him in, and Miley only gave up one more run in the time that he was there. But the thing is, is that a game is not out of reach at three runs. And I'm not saying it's out of reach at four, but it's a much bigger uphill climb. Sure. And I feel like, again, with so few games left, you have to you have to have a quick quicker trigger finger sure. for using the bullpen so that games don't get out of hand because they matter so much. Which is weird because I remember back to the ALDS in 2014, and Buck was really quick with his pitchers and saying, "Up, oh, Chen, you went three innings, but uh, you're in a difficult position here. I'm going to pull you. And I went right to your bullpen. And I think it comes back to there really isn't anyone better on the roster to take over. I mean, when Vance Worley came into the game, you're just like, eh, like he's he's in there, but like, is he any better than what Wade Miley was really giving you? And the answer really was no. He really was not that much better than what Wade Miley was giving you on Sunday, which I'd like to go to third base now, if you don't mind. Let's do it. So uh, roster moves happened. Um, expanded rosters happened. Everyone came up. Um and you're looking at the 40-man roster that's up here now, and you're just like, that's all we got. That's the best that we could do. So the Orioles went out and acquired Jason Bourne and Drew Stubbs. Um, and that's like, okay, so you got some you know, outfielders that may be able to help you from a speed aspect and maybe defense. Let me ask you this. Sure. If Adam Jones isn't hurt with his hamstring, do you think either or both of those moves get made? I think Stubbs gets made because I know the Orioles were really interested in Stubbs in the past. Born, I think, it was strictly a, we need someone to back up Adam Jones just in case Jones gets hurt again. Do you are, are, do you mind either move? Do you think we gave up anything of value? I don't think we gave up anything of significant value. I mean, that that's the honest thing. So I, looking at who we gave up, it's just like, eh, like, there's nobody there that's like a top 100 prospect. There's no one even there that was like a top 200 prospect. So, no, I don't really think it's that big of a move. Um, I think it was just taking on additional salary that, it's not that big of a deal since it's only one month, but okay, whatever. I just think it just clutters up the clubhouse some further, but go ahead. So the call-ups that they brought up, it was Tyler Wilson came back. Yeah. Jason Aquino came up and Caleb Joseph, which was a known quantity. Correct. Now, Wilson, we know, uh, Aquino we've seen, but don't know. Don't really know my touch. And, uh, you know, Caleb Joseph, you know what you're getting, which is a lack of RBIs. Sure. Um, so, I mean, those are the only, additions that were made from the minors, which is interesting to me. Um, I know that Buck Walters has said in the past that he doesn't want to bring up guys that aren't going to contribute. He doesn't want to, as you just said, clutter the clubhouse. He doesn't want to, to bring guys up that don't really mean anything. Are you surprised that these were the only moves made from the minors, or do you think that just underscores the weakness of the 40-man roster? I think it just underscores the futility, which is the 40-man roster, especially from the pitching staff. Look, Lugan and Druzik got onto the 25-man and the 40-man because there really was nobody better. Uh, the Orioles are in rough, rough shape. Um, 
with the, with the 40 man. Um, and it comes back to Wade Miley slash uh, Giovanni Gardo, even at their meh, is likely better than some of these options that could come in the second or third inning and just really kind of blow the game for you. Yeah, I was just surprised that with the weakness in the rotation, they didn't bring up more bodies to throw at the bullpen problem, um, particularly until, uh, you know, O'Day can come back and we can have a more stable bullpen back there. Uh, again, you know, not saying that we had any great shakes, but uh, I, I was surprised we didn't find, you know, more more bodies. But, you know, that's that's the roster I think that not just the head-scratching of who is here, but it's also been a little head-scratching on how folks have been used. And there's no better example of that than the outfield. Sure. So the Orioles went out and got Jason Bourne, and they got Drew Stubbs. But the real big news was, um, I I think in my opinion, the continued reluctance to play Hansu Kim. So Steve Pierce has been batting a lot against right-handed pitching this uh, this past week. And even Nolan Rymel has been getting into the lineup a lot more, which, again, makes no sense. Like, if you got Jason Bourne coming up and you got Drew Stubbs, why the heck are you playing Nolan Rymel right now? Like, I thought he would have zero role in this team after the roster's expansion. I thought he might be like a pinch runner occasionally. Yeah. But past that, I was like, okay, well, you know, Stubbs and Bourne are going to play where Rymel used to be. And Rymel will be an occasional pinch runner or a pinch hitter if like the game gets out of line. But past that, you know, his service time with the Orioles and any significant portion is done at this point. And it doesn't seem to be the case. It seems like Rymel is getting heavier playing time than Bourne and Stubbs. And even over Kim, it's like, what is going on here? And the thing about Pierce that's so... I, dude, I love Steve Pierce. I love Pierce. Steve, Pierce, Steve Pierce. Yeah, But he's hurt. He's hurt. His, his elbow is still a problem. Right. And So el- if it's not a lefty-righty matchup, why are you putting him in the game instead of one of your hotter hitters? So Buck is putting in players like Steve Pierce and Nolan Reimold because he's looking at player versus pitcher sample size and saying, oh, well, Steve Pierce is 5 for 12 against this pitcher, so we should bat him against this pitcher. Uh, and you've heard that before on the postgame shows where Buck will be like, what is he batting against that pitcher? And the guy will be like, oh, he's like five for 12. And he's like, exactly. And it's like, well, that's great. But it's 12 plate appearances. Like, it's not like a, it's not a huge number of plate appearances. Look, this comes back to from a sabermetrician standpoint, you know, pitching batter matchups do not matter handiness does matter when you're going against left hand versus right handed that's a much more important aspect than saying how someone came up for 10 plate appearances and they did well in those 10 plate appearances yeah that that even sounds like garbage to the non-sabermetrician and the thing is i can understand if it was like an all-time great like randy johnson sure all right if if you've got a guy that has success against randy johnson at that point i'm like okay put him in the lineup because there's a not only performance issue, but there's also the, the psychological warfare. Right. And if and if you have a player that can withstand that, even in a small sample size, I say go for it. But when you're dealing with small sample size, the thing that's crazy to me about that is that a lot of those at-bats that you're talking about are in different parks for different teams oh, sure. and mean absolutely nothing, nothing to the series or the game at hand. Sure, we've talked about this before where uh – uh, when the Orioles were coming in in 2012 and 2013, they would flash like a Yankee stat, like Andy Pettit is uh, 13-2 and two against the Baltimore Orioles, posting a 2.83 ERA, and it's just like, 
this does not matter because this is complete garbage because the teams that they were playing against were absolutely garbage. So if you're going to compare the 2012 team exactly to all other Orioles team over the past decade for Andy Pettit, it's an absolute travesty to do so. Why are you doing that? So uh, player versus player history is is useless is what you're telling me. It is completely useless if you really want to kind of wage thing you know you could come back and say this player is really good against this pitcher because it's a righty going against a lefty or you could come back and say this pitcher predominantly throws a curveball and a fastball and this hitter does really good against fastballs and really good against curveballs but the fact that it comes back to oh well he's done really good against this pitcher for 12 plate appearances that means absolutely nothing unless it's a handness or a pitch type aspect. Now, if there's a handness and pitch type stuff on top of it, along with being really good, I'm completely buying it. But if there's not, it's complete garbage and small sample size. Why do you think it's so prevalent? Do you think it's just the book? I think it's, well, it's funny because it's the old school book, which is, we talk about Earl and Earl is held in high regard within our city, but Earl did the whole thing. He, you know, he always used the batter pitcher aspect. And a lot of times he had really good luck with it. But the thing is, we never go back and look at times when batters do poorly against pitchers that they should have raked. We always like, oh, Evan Longoria is coming in here against Chris Tillman and he absolutely destroys Chris Tillman looking at his historical record. But when Evan Longoria doesn't have a good game or a good series in, against Chris Tillman, we never come back and say, oh, Chris Tillman absolutely dominated Evan Longoria and we got a mean to the regression. We just chalk it up and come back the next time and say, hey, Evan Longoria absolutely dominates Chris Tillman. And you're like, no, no, no. Like earlier this season, Chris Tillman absolutely dominated Evan Longoria. You need to update your statistics because Chris Tillman either changed something or, you know, it doesn't equate to being the same aspect. Or it was useless in the first place. Right, exactly. So I... This is very old school for Bach. It kills me. I don't understand why he doesn't focus more on the handness aspect, but he knows much more than I do. So maybe he sees something that I don't, but that's my next question. Is there possible that there's something else going on with Kim that we don't know? Maybe an injury situation that we're seeing less of him, or just a wear and tear. I, look, I, I have zero idea how long the KBO uh, schedule is. Is it 162 games? I don't think it's 162 games. I think it's shorter, but um, I know that he's played sparingly at the beginning. So I don't think it's a wear and tear issue, but you never know. Maybe Buck is putting him on the bench so that he can watch the game during September. So he's better ready for it in October. <laughs> it works so well in april yes exactly all right so coming around to home plate um i you know we just talked about kim not really being in the lineup um but there's other players that i feel like have been in the lineup and really not been stepping up so in, in order for this team to really take that next step and get either into the playoffs through a wild card division who on this team do you feel like needs to step up over the next month and really push this team into the playoffs yeah it's a good question uh, I think there are a lot of candidates, and I won't list them all because I don't want to steal any any thunder here. I think that the one player that really needs to come through is Manny Machado. And I think if you look at the first uh, half of this season, Machado was having an MVP caliber season. And as went Machado, so did the team. I think he's got to be dominant. I think he's got to be a dominant force at the plate. He needs to have a really good month, and the team needs to ride that on to victory. Okay. So... I'm just going to put this in perspective. Over the past 30 days, Manny Machado has 150 weighted runs created plus, and we want him to be better than that. No, he just needs to continue Continue that. that. Okay. So you know who I think needs to be much better over the next month? 
I think Jonathan Scope needs to take that big step and um, and become that superstar-like player. Everyone has really put it on him saying, this is going to be the year that Jonathan Scope has steps out. And to a certain regard, yes, Jonathan Scope has hit a lot more home runs. But over the past 30 days, he's only hit four home runs. And it's okay, but it's like it's not superstar level or great second baseman. And you need that peripheral player. Like if I'm looking at an, a Manny Machado or Mark Trumbo or Chris Davis – they all have put up some great numbers that I would consider to be pretty typical for their production over their career. But Jonathan Scope is putting up a 75 weighted runs created plus over the past 30 days. Jonathan Scope is going to need to step up and be that you know individual in the 6th or 7th hole that can drive runs into the heart of the order. So Jonathan Scope is my person that needs to step up. He's been doing it in the field. He just needs to do it at the bat now. I think it's interesting that neither of us picked pitchers. Yeah, neither one of us picked pitchers because, in all honesty, none of them are going to step up significantly. I mean, they're just going to – if they can waddle by, I'll be okay with waddling. I'm yeah. not expecting them to become aces. I just want them to kind of skate by, middle of the road, and not make too much noise and let the lineup and the offense clean up for any issues they create. Honorable mention? Sure. I think Adam Jones needs to be Adam Jones for the last month as well. I agree. I, it was amazing – how much this lineup looked different with Adam Jones out of it. Um, it, it just, it turned this lineup in from a top 10 offense into a, it's like maybe middle of the pack slash below middle of the pack. It was amazing how much of a difference it made. Shockingly. Yep. Well, there you go. Around the bases for this week in Orioles baseball. Scotty, there's, there's something that I want to get off my chest. It has a lot to do with Sunday's game but also other games we've watched this season. Play the music. Let's come back and talk about it. Now, this is going to shock you. I have a winning record at the park this season. Wow. Despite having a winning record at the park, hashtag ban Jake was in full effect on Sunday. I still think it's ban Sarah at this point. <laughs> I think you may be right. She's <laughs> she's starting to come around on topic as well. But uh, you She's know, seen, what, one game? I mean, if you want to count opening day, it's two games, but really she left pretty early. So one game this season? Really? Okay. Yeah. She doesn't listen to podcasts anyway. Yeah, she don't have to worry about it. Here's the thing about Sunday. I was kind of cranky at the end because it, it was it was just clear to me that the Orioles were not going to come back. After they had failed to take any momentum with them in the fifth inning when it was there Oof. for the taking, they just didn't do it. Yeah. And so it was really a matter of just stringing out the last four innings. That's super frustrating to watch. But here's the thing. The Orioles are down in the bottom of the ninth. And so what what does the ballpark do? They play that stupid get your revved up video of hey everything's going to be all right. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing. I know that this is the land of Orioles magic. I I get it. Yeah. And I know that this team is very capable of coming back and surprising us. A la the Jonathan Scope home run in was that San Francisco? Yeah. Yeah. I I know all that. And there have been plenty of times this season. All the Matt Wieters this week uh, coming back against the Blue Jays and saying, oh, you know what? We gave the lead. We're going to get it right back now. Dude, I know all that. And my wife 
gets on me all the time for being grumpy at the end of a ball game when it's not actually decided yet. But you know what? Sometimes the Orioles are not coming back. Right. Sometimes it's just not going to happen. And I don't want you to placate me with the what ifs. Frankly, I want to be left to brood in peace. I want the dignity of being able to sulk through an Orioles loss sometimes. It's, you know, it's, it's not mature, but frankly, it's chicken soup for the soul sometimes. It's you not mature, but so is Baltimore baseball sometimes. So I had an idea. Okay. Instead of the, the you know, get me pumped up, everything's going to be okay montage of, of video clips, what if we went in the complete opposite direction what would that look like scotty i've come up with what i think is a pretty good candidate you want to learn something all right here's a useful lesson for you give up just quit because in this life you can't win yeah you can try but in the end you're just gonna lose big time i'll never succeed we may as well die here it takes real guts to see the hopelessness. You're gonna lose. You're gonna lose. You stink. You're gonna lose. Here's to the thrill of defeat, Charlie. Wow. I really, really feel uplifted right now. I know. I know. But you know what? If it's just not going to happen, at least I feel better about it. You just want the script to be written and just be placated and just never have that hope of ever coming back. Yeah. My hopes can't be dashed if they are not brought up. Wow. So I ask, I ask you, Birdland, what would your hopelessness uh, clip montage consist of? And for us optimists out there, what would you play instead of the movie montage? For example, I personally think that the order should go ahead and play, play the 2011 162 game and point out, oh, look, the Red Sox lost uh, in, in, in a horrible comeback uh, or, against the Baltimore Orioles. Or even just like a, a montage that shows a replay of every come from behind home run, you know, walk off homer that's happened that season. I think that would be helpful. That'd be good too. Um, maybe some of the home runs from like the 1979 series uh, season. Um, anything that was more Orioles related as opposed to cheesy movies, things that you could see at pretty much a hockey game or anything like that as well. So, so what should we be playing in the ninth is the question. Orioles fans, let us know. Uh, tweet us out at Bird's Eye View B A L. Hashtag happy ending or hashtag sad ending. Oh, <laughs> I regret this entire set. <laughs> All right, let's figure out who won Fantasy Boss this week. Oh, my goodness. One of us is going to have a happy ending. Oh, I guess I did. <laughs> when it comes to rocking and natural finger popping, baby, you sure do swing. And when it comes to rocking, By the way, if you're finger popping during your happy ending, it's not going to be good. 
Inside Out and Across. Yeah, all right. So last week's category was Weighted Runs Creative Plus. Nice and simplistic. Uh, Jake, you went with Chris Davis. I went with Manny Machado. Chris Davis, 88 Weighted Runs Creative Plus. Manny Machado, 107 Weighted Runs Creative Plus. Uh, not a great week from either of us in terms of picking. I think we got like fifth and seventh on the team. It's because we didn't pick Ryan Flaherty, who in a single plate appearance, 725 weighted runs created plus. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Pretty darn impressive. But, um, that brings the season total to 11 to nine. No wild cards hit this week. So Jake, you are back up choosing a category. What are you going with? I'm I'm clinging to a lead here, right? It's uh it's a two point lead at this point. It is a two point lead at this moment. All right, so I need to I need to put the the pedal to the metal, my foot to your throat. I am going to pick a again a simplistic category. I think it's easier for everybody to to count along. Scott Magnus, this week, extra base hits. Oh, okay. Uh, I am going to go with my boy, Mark Trumbo. Mark Trumbo is a solid choice. I'm going to go with Adam Jones. Okay. I I mean, he's got, I guess, speed again, right? Hopefully. He's he's been a little... A little gimpy? A little gimpy. A little hesitant to turn on the Jets, but uh, let's just say this is hopeful Jake. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. It's that montage. The, uh, The video montage got me all psyched up to hope again. So extra base hits. I'm going with Mark Trumbo. Jake's going with Adam Jones. Who will own it? Feel free to play along this week and uh, taunt us when our opposing picks hit extra base hits. Yes, exactly. With that, let's go find and figure out who was good, who was bad, and oh yeah, who was ugly this week. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is the segment where we we focus on who had a good week, who had a bad week, and who embarrasses us as Orioles fans. I'm going to go ahead and get started so that I can leave Scott to his customary rants at the end. And my good is the cap 10, of course. Uh, good to have Adam Jones back in the lineup. Only 13 plate appearances uh, since he didn't play the whole week. Uh, but that which he did do, he took advantage of. He uh, he hit a home run. He had a weighted runs created plus of two fourteen, a woba of four ninety two. He uh, he made an impression in his t- uh, time at the plate this week, and it's good to have him. And we needed him back. So my good this week is Adam Jones. All right. So my good for the week is going to go to Matthew Weeters, who um, I-, I personally thought he had a better week, um, but he had a one twenty two weighted runs created plus, which is good for the team, but not not top of line. But I really got to go back to Tuesday's game against the Toronto Blue Jays, mm-hmm. him coming up and having that two-run homer. And I think it's kind of forgotten um, now going into this week. But 3-3, bottom of the eighth, Jason Greeley coming up. If the Orioles go and lose that game after being up 3-1, it is a major kick in, in the junk. Um, the Orioles needed to win that game. Um, and it was maybe one of the bigger hits that we've seen so far. Um, for the season and Matt Weiders has had a several of them this season 
But just in terms of feel good and get, trying to get the team back on track, that was a big win for this team. So Matt Wieters gets my good for the week. All right, my bad is going to go to Jonathan Scope. You talked about him a little bit earlier, and you talked about the lack of home run production, which is true. But I also feel like Jonathan Scope, when he's not hitting home runs, he's also doing things that are terrible. The K percentage is way up. In this past week alone, 24% K percentage. I feel like he's back to the uh, poor impression of bad Adam Jones Mm -hmm. that he kind of had going on for a while there. And uh, he needs to get himself back in order. I do have a suggestion for him. Uh, I've been watching a lot of video, and I've been breaking down his swings. And what I'm seeing at the plate is this. Uh, He's not wearing high socks anymore. And high sock, uh, Jonathan Scope, much better than low sock, Jonathan Scope. So he's my bad this week. Okay. Um, I know we talked about it earlier about Giovanni Guerrero and uh, Wade Miley not being that bad. But in my opinion, they have been pretty bad. And the reason I say that is if you look at their stats and their ERA and you're like, oh, they kind of kept in the game. But in reality, Giovanni Gardo and Wade Miley have put their teams behind the eight pole in several instances where they've given up early runs. And it feels like the team has to scratch and claw back in order to get back into the games. And again, I'm not saying that the games are insurmountable to come back from, but giving up those early deficits is just a really kick in the junk to both the team and really a kick in the junk to... Um, the fans watching it being like, oh, great, now we're down by two or three runs. We've got to come back and try to scrape a game out of this and oh, see what it's, happens. It's the first inning, and the game already feels over right. again. Yeah, so, again, probably not ugly category, but bad enough that I just wish that they were a little bit better. I'll be actually interested to see. Um, I, I think it's a foregone conclusion that Abaldo Jimenez is um, going to be um, in the rotation once Chris Tillman comes back. My question would be, who goes to the bullpen? Is it going to be Giovanni Garrido or is it going to be Wade Miley? So you're saying that those two guys are just having a sequencing of suck problems. Um, I'm actually going to say that Giovanni Garrido um, may be worse than Abaldo Jimenez. I don't think there's any maybe about it. Right now, yes. I mean, for the entire season, he may be worse than Abaldo Jimenez. Oof. Yeah. Oof. All right, I'm going to go with my ugly this okay. week. My ugly is just wasted opportunities. Yeah. It it hurt me this week. You know, again, four and three. They had an above average week. They dropped a series. They won a series, and then they won a game. So, you know, everything's great. But it was a week in many ways of wasted opportunities. Sunday's game was a perfect opportunity. They had the Yankees on the ropes in the fifth inning. The game was there for the taking, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. They were in those games that they lost to the Toronto Blue Jays. Again, down early, but not eight to one blowouts. Wasted opportunities are a killer at this point. Because to be honest with you, these games matter as much as the games in April, but I don't remember the, the ones that they blew earlier. When we know the stakes, watching the scoreboards, watching the out of town scoreboards, when they waste opportunities, it's just pains me we talk about meaningful games in september every game means something and it sucks when they fail to do so so that's the ugly thing for me this week is when the game the series the season is there within their grasp and they fail to make it happen yeah jake i'm going to talk about a problem and it's a problem that birdland in general has and that's coming too prematurely 
I'm listening. Jake, horrified, but I'm listening. At the beginning of today, Abaldo Jimenez started the game giving up three runs, and the Orioles went down three to nothing. We just talked about Wade Miley, and we just talked about Giovanni Gardo uh, giving up uh, early run deficits. But even you talked about this uh, going back to Sunday's uh, game. Wade Miley came in there, gave a few runs, and you're just like, oh, man, we're behind the eight ball. And the collective aspect of the fan base was just like, well, this stinks. This team's not going to win. We're out of the playoffs again. It's that premature judgment of basically saying this game is over before it is really over. Similar to declaring this season is over well before the season is over. And I don't quite understand why folks feel like they need to make that rush judgment and just declare it over. And to a certain regard, I think it's them protecting themselves from the eventual aspect of not wanting to be hurt. But Baltimore fans, it's a nine inning game in certain instances, even longer if we're getting free baseball and don't end things before they've actually ended. I've seen a lot of people come, come out of that Toronto Blue Jays series and declare the season collectively over after they lost that series. And it doesn't make any sense to me about why people are being so premature. Listen, there's things you can do to prevent prematurity. Let us help you here at Bird's Eye View. I think they love just saying, I told you so, when things don't work out. Because they declare that, and if the Orioles win, nobody remembers them saying that. Yeah. But if they lose, they get to point back and say, see, I told you. I told you back in May that this team couldn't sustain winning. But seriously, don't be premature. It gives no one excitement, and it gives no one any joy. Don't be premature. See it all the way through. For at least four hours. And then consult a doctor. (laughs) All right. I was waiting how long it would take for the four-hour <laughs> reference. It only took me a, f- a few minutes, but what can I say? All right. Um, okay. Let's go ahead and blow the save. And uh, I'm actually going to take this week, I think. Take it away. So I decided to actually take the daughter to the baseball game on Sunday. I originally was going to go with the wife, but um, son got sick. Um, and it was really fun just going me and her for the first time ever to a game just kind of us I think we may have gone like when she was like really small but this is the first game that she actually could ask questions about um and we had a great time um i'm actually going to write an article about it um and kind of come back to this whole aspect of going to the baseball game for the orioles is too expensive i can tell you right now that um it's not too expensive uh highest ticket prices of the season were on sunday's game 25 dollars per piece was for the upper deck which is the elite pricing which is really expensive but even for the two of us, I think my total bill came out to be right around, I think it was like $70 for two people. And that's going a little exorbitant in terms of some of the purchases. One of the purchases that I had to make was one of the foam fingers. And the reason why I had to go and purchase this foam finger for my daughter is, well, she may have sucker punched a Yankees fan. So let me go through this whole scenario. So we're getting on the moon bounce and she's bouncing around, bouncing around, flailing around. And I see these two kids. I love get, that you said we, like you're in the moon bounce with her. Look, I would love to be in the moon <laughs> bounce, but it clearly says you have to be under four foot tall. So clearly I'm precluded from this. So these two Yankees fans get in there. Uh, one is wearing an A-Rod jersey with the name on the back, and the other one is wearing a Ruth jersey. Kid has to be more, more than like three or four years old. Wearing a Ruth jersey, and I'm like, well, okay, that's that's great parenting right there. And they bounce around for another 30 seconds, and my daughter is literally going crazy and hog heaven, flailing her arms. 
And she's flinging all her arms to us in a regard where she literally punches um, the kid in the Ruth jersey right in the face. Which a part of me is just like, that's awesome. And then a part of me as a parent is just like, I need to respond to this. So uh, went over to the, the parent had a nice conversation. Punched her in the face. No, did not punch her in the face. Had a really nice conversation. Just apologized. And it really kind of put back the aspect of, you know, as much as we like to hold in disregard to other fan bases and the obnoxiousness of other fan bases, there is a tolerability and a ability to understand that we are each parents and um, we can understand each other. Now, that being said, when we were going up to the upper reserve seats that we are for season tickets, we got up to row 19 and 336, and there was a Yankees fan on the aisle, and he popped his head over when she saw my daughter wearing an oil shirt and looked her right in the face and said, let's go Yankees, which at that point, his beer was right there, and I may have kicked it over. But oops. Oops. I mean, my bad. Um, but anywho, it's really a good time to go and take your kids to the baseball game. Highly encourage it. And again, it's really not that expensive to go to a baseball game. You should go out to a baseball game, especially in September. We've got a lot of classic price games coming up against the Tampa Bay Rays and the Arizona Diamondbacks. There are going to be some really cheap tickets out there. Go see baseball. And hey, if your kid happens to sucker punch an opposing uh, fan's kid, let us know. These things happen. Yeah, exactly. These things happen. All right. Well, with that, um, I think we can kind of start to wrap things up, I guess. Let's see. Uh, We've had a premature reference, a happy ending reference, and a sucker punch uh, reference. I I think we've said it all. Yeah, I think we've we've said enough for this evening. Hey, it's it's the early part of September. uh, Season isn't over. Nope. It's uh, competitive baseball still. And uh, hey, guess what? The Orioles are still in a playoff spot right now. It's kind of nice. Yeah, exactly. All right. With that, Baltimore and Beyond, I have uh, nothing else for you. So I'll bid you all a fond. Adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. So the foam finger was like a boxing glove or was it a protective measure? Protective measure. You've got to protect if you're going to have prematurity. I regret asking. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.